You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of September 18th. I'm John Gibson, and with me late on a Saturday night, back from Hawaii, and bubbly and shiny and... (laughs) He recovered from his vacation. Is my buddy Jim Allen. What's up, dude? <laughs> no <Bubbly>. comment. <laughs> Bubbly. Bubbly. I um you saw bubbly. I, I was actually bubbly on Friday because it was my it was my anniversary Friday evening of the on the traditionally respect for the I kept saying respect for the elderly day, and my coworker today said, "No, no, it's officially respect for the aged day." And I said, "Cut out that aged stuff, elderly, elderly." <laughs> Everybody's <What>? aged. <laughs> yeah, take that aged stuff and get me some whiskey or something. Put it, put it on a bottle of whiskey or something. So, no, it was thirty-nine years ago uh, and one day that I arrived in Japan. Wow, our anniversaries are pretty close. Mine's at the end of October, so pretty close. Mm. Yeah, day wise, so, but yeah, not year wise. So well, that was so that was that. So I was kind of bubbly. I'm I'm uh, thinking for next year I'll be forty. So I'll be I'll be a forty year old Japanese person who can't speak Japanese. Great, and uh, <laughs> congratulations. But yeah, shiny, shiny, yeah. Well, All right. Well, I'm I'm glad, I'm glad you landed on Central League Clinch Day. That was good. You came back on Thursday. It was and good. There... It was good because as wiped out as I was, and I got wiped out about halfway through that game, I could still lie down and, and watch and then read what my colleagues wrote about it. And then the, the first thing that struck me, well, my wife asking me, how old is that guy? Speaking of Akinobu Okada. And I said, I don't know, maybe 70. He certainly looks it. And because he's just weather beaten. And uh, our story said, you know, he's the oldest manager in in Nippon professional baseball at 65. And I said, wait a minute, Tatsunori Hara is 65. But uh, Tatsunori Hara is uh, 10 months, uh, 10 months younger. Okay. He's a young 65, too. He's a younger looking 65. (laughs) That's what I mean. Yeah, yes. well, their their pinstripe or tigers pinstripes parties going on nationwide and and in parts unknown in other countries. I would say you got Randy Bass, Mass, Matt Merton, Aaron Baldivis, Jeff Williams, and others partying around the world. So this is cool. Yeah, well, especially for for uh, Aaron Baldivis because he was Okada's was his kind of godfather with the Tigers, and as soon as he quit, the Tigers said. This guy was what our best our player of the minor league player of the year. Get rid of him. <laughs> As we were exactly what we were talking about before the show started. Talking like, yeah, who needs that? Who needs yeah. the guy who? who uh, except, I'll tell you a funny story. I got a I basically got a gig. Last aside for the start of the show, I got a gig with the SoftBank Hawks, advising them on trades one year. Um, largely because I predicted that Aram Valderas would rake with the Oryx Buffalo mm-hmm. based on his minor league numbers. And he did. And he did. And, <laughs> and he did because 
as no sooner had he left Hanshin, I think he played one year after Okada left, and they said, "Get rid of this bum," <laughs> and uh, he landed on his feet in uh, Kobe at yep. the time. Yep. Oh, excuse me, Osaka. Oh, Osaka, yeah, yeah, wherever. I think Kobe was mainly where they were playing at the time. But yeah, let's get to the show and congratulations to the Hanshin Tigers for winning Indeed. the Central League title. They're sixth overall. It's only six. So, <laughs> but yeah, we'll get into that. But anyway, on this week's show, we've got second year import pitcher Drew Anderson of the Carp is the guest. We're going to discuss the Tigers, their steady and impressive run to that thing <laughs> that they've been calling it most of the season. We're going to look at the playoff races and finish up with some high heat. So let's start swinging. Clearing the bases. All right, so I contemplated. I'm thinking we've got to talk about the Tigers and their run to the title, but it's not over, and we've got playoff races to contend with and all that stuff, and we pretty much knew the Tigers were going to win this thing, but it was exciting. It was an exciting game in the clincher, so we'll get to it, but we do want to keep our format and go with the interview first. And so on Wednesday, I... Stood in the camera well at Jingu Stadium across the short wall and talked to Drew Anderson. And he's a big righty in his second year with the Carp. And I had only seen him on TV a little bit. I think I, I've seen him a couple of times during the interviews. When I, the one I did with first with Ryan McBroom back in wow, April. And then uh, I did see him when I was at Yokohama talking to Matt Davison as well. And a uh, super friendly guy. And he was really nice and came over and you know, I yelled at him from the from behind the fence down the third base line. Oh, you were in Yokohama. Uh, you did that. No, no, no. At Jingu, at Jingu. Oh, okay. They don't let you on the sta- stadium ground either. There, but so I ran down the the uh, well down the third base line, but in the stands, and I walked over there and waited for a moment and said, "Hey, you got time to talk?" He says, "I got time right now, so let's do it." And so it was great. And he reminds me of Chris Johnson. Um, mm. A lot, but the, both of those guys are really good-looking guys. And I tell you this, Drew Anderson is not, if not president of the Handsome Man Club, he's he's one of the execs. <laughs> he's a good-looking dude. Um, and we were, I guess, slightly pressed for time. So you'll notice that some of his answers are short, but that's why because he didn't. We were talking before the team stretch, and I think he didn't want to be late, and mm-hmm. he wanted to get out there. So we probably didn't have the long version of some of his answers in there this interview but it's good because we get to go get on and talk to the talk about the Hanshin Tigers and how they won so anyway let's take a listen to Drew Anderson. All right we're here with Drew Anderson of the Hiroshima Clark thank you for joining us and taking time out. Yeah of course. All right so I saw your first game and uh, you were starting then and uh, you were in the hero interview I think maybe your first win probably and you were in the hero interview and you said yeah I'm gonna you know go and get something to eat and, uh, and hang out with Ryan. Uh, and, and it was just a cool experience. How, how was it for you, that first one? I mean, yeah, it was a really cool experience. With, What's up, dude? It was a really cool experience with winning and everything, and, and the hero of interview kind of like speaking up in front of everyone. That's not really like my forte, so it, it, caught, Mine me by, it caught me by surprise. But <laughs> after you do a couple of them, you get used to it, and it goes a lot smoother. Yeah, a lot of people have said that, and I'm like, I know you guys do research before you come over. That's not one of the that's not part of the research that you guys do about the no hearing interview? I had no idea that no they way. did that. All right, so uh, now I heard I was listening to a game on the radio the other day, and you were pitching, and one of the, the announcers said, well, when you came here, you uh, weren't sure, or you, this is what he said, so he's reporting, but weren't sure exactly what kind of role that you were going to be in, but that you kind of requested to go to the bullpen uh, sometime this season. 
how true is that and then what was the reason i mean i always always like starting i've started my whole career and uh, the reason this year was probably because maybe they had too many starters up there right now or i don't know i've always been comfortable with doing the bullpen or, or starting it really matter it's just kind of it's just pitching all right all right now um how comfortable are you with this role now then Pretty comfortable. Like like I said, it's just it's just pitching. It's just throwing strikes, trying to get guys out, and you do it in one inning instead of trying to do it in nine. So gotcha, gotcha. Now what? In, uh, yes. Now there's always talk about the mound being different and the balls being different and the stadiums being different. What has stood out about the Japanese ballparks and Japanese baseball to you in those aspects with the ball and the mounds? And all that stuff? Well, the mounds. Every single mound is different. Like uh, Hanshin is tiny. Like there, there's. All the all the specs of the mounds are all different. It does kind of look like a speed bump. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> and like this one looks like a lot lot taller. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like throws you through a loop. And especially with with the warm up mounds being different than the than the bullpen mount. I mean the bullpen mounds being different than the game mounds. Gotcha. That kind of like throws you off too because you're preparing on something really steep and then you go to something really low and it, mm. it just like takes a little bit of time to get adjusting to it. But the more you like obviously pitch on those mounds and like get used to it, then you kind of understand it. And that's kind of what it's all about. It's just like understanding what to do next. Wow, that's that's fascinating because we always talk about the nuance of the, the left-handed batters when you're a right-handed pitcher or and the way they flip balls over the left field and yeah. all these things. And we talked about the mounds, but we and we probably don't ask the pitchers enough about the differences, but I've not heard that one about how the the bullpen mounds and the actual game mounds are different, and that really must mess you up. A little bit. I mean, this one here looks actually pretty pretty dang close. I haven't actually stepped on that mound yet, but like from the looks of it, it looks pretty close. All right. Now, these games for fans and observers, we're watching, and you got August, and all the, mm -hmm. you know, all the teams are fighting for playoff spots, and it's exciting to watch for us and everything, but how is it for the players? It's exciting. It's exciting. I mean, it's just another day, so I mean, we're just trying to win every single day. But yeah, it's exciting. I mean, nothing really changes from day one to, to the last day for me. In my like, in my opinion, like day one, you're trying to win. Day 162 or whatever it is, you're trying to win. So, 143. I mean, 143. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Get those Mondays off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not much changes. Now, Hanshin, you talked about that mound, but that team has is kind of closing in on the title. Now, it's not over yet, and I never count anybody out because I saw Toronto in the 80s blow a big lead yeah. really late, so I don't count anything out. But um, how do you view that team? That team's pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, they, they put the ball in play. Um, they, I mean, they put the ball in play, so either you're getting, like, getting like something hard hit or something's going to loop over the second baseman or first baseman. So they get a lot of those. But the pitching is like, the pitching, those guys are going nine innings. They're strong. I don't know. They just, they look like a well-rounded team. So you play the whole season, you got to go to the playoffs and prove it again. No matter whether you win the pennant or not, you finish second or third, you got to beat the same teams to get to the fan series. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't want to put a damper on the pennant because I know it's important, but how important is it? I think it's really important because you have that, you got that extra win, you got the bye. In the playoffs. Like it's 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 such a huge advantage. Like that first place team, I feel, I mean, I haven't actually seen like 
the records of, of the first place teams Not winning <laughs> winning the actual championship. Oh, okay. Winning going through is pretty good. The, I would the, say the uh, non yeah. first place teams. Non first place, they probably struggle. They, yeah, because it's just such a big advantage. If you miss that first week and then you start with a win in the climax series or whatever it is, so you already have a huge advantage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta win first place. I always feel like it's it tests your pitching staff in full because you gotta get through that first series and then take on the best team with the back end of your rotation. With, with coming in like second and third. Right. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. Because then, then they're, they're running probably the same guys out there every day, or the, whichever ones like they feel most most comfortable with. Sure. Now you guys do a lot. Yeah, you guys pitch really well. Um, you run the bases well, uh, you hit your fair share of home runs. So what's what do you see as the big, biggest difference between you guys and, and the other teams, especially Hanshi? <laughs> the biggest difference? Mm. Where your I'm advantages not, and, yeah, yeah you're not uh, at liberty to say all of them, but I'm, yeah, basically. I'm not, I'm not too sure. They look, they look just, like, really well-rounded. As in, like, like their, their starters are going deep. All their starters have, like, a one. So that's huge. I haven't seen, like, a whole lot of their bullpen. I know they got that lefty, like, the closer guy that, mm-hmm. that does pretty well. But, yeah, it's just they just look well-rounded. And that's that is the key. I yeah. know, <laughs> because uh, the season is so long, right? You've got uh, like, you get challenged. You start in the cold, mm-hmm. you play through the heat, and then it gets cold again. Oh, no. uh, and then uh, yeah, it, it's long. So now you guys are obviously if you get through, uh, you get to host. If you're in second place, you get to host that first playoff series. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know you didn't get to experience the playoffs last year. So how does that look for you, just being in the postseason? I mean, we gotta we gotta battle. We just gotta keep pitching and hitting. Name of the game, really. I mean, if we keep doing that, then I think we're I think we're battling for like playoff spot right now. Right, right. But I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we just gotta <laughs> we just gotta keep fighting. So I, obviously, you don't look at the standings every day. You're not one of those guys who likes to watch the uh, I mean, I highlights been, in the standings. I have been a couple the past couple of days, but just kind of just yeah. kind of looking yeah. at. Don't it. stress yourself out, don't you? No, no, don't <laughs> worry. I'm not stressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, just about playing at Koshia now. What are some of the like nuances of pitching at that stadium? Because as, it doesn't yield a lot of home runs normally, and you got that dirt infield and. Big grass out there. I mean, what is it like as a pitcher when you have that stuff to do? Definitely deal surprises with? you the first time because I'm not used to pitching on all dirt infields. So it kind of surprised me, but you get used to it. I mean, I, I love how like how big it is and it plays big too. Mm-hmm. So that's always nice as a pitcher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, just like the shape of the field too, as the, as the, the stadium. Sure. It's it looks very symmetrical. And as in, like, there's there's fans all around you. Mm, yes. Like, like here, I mean, kind of dives down a little bit. But, like, Hanshin, it's just, like, all around. It's, it's great. Understood. All right, well, good luck. Stay healthy, and we'll see you in the playoffs. I appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, so what did you think of that? That was pretty... Well, at first thought, without knowing where Drew Anderson was, I, I was sure he's from California, but he's, he's close. He's from Reno. <laughs> Which is kind of like California, but colder. A, well, yeah, it's cold, colder, colder, and hotter. And 
used to be cheaper. Not so much anymore, but it's uh, it's, it's sort of like, I, I keep wondering why NPB doesn't operate a shuttle between Reno and Narita. <laughs> so many players come here from Reno. And uh, so I'm, I'm just looking at the, you know, he he got drafted. He was the last player taken in the 21st round of the 2012 draft. Mm-hmm. But he is of those uh, players. Uh, he's one of only three who have uh, made it to MLB. So, well, congratulations on that. And then I haven't looked in, to see how many of them have ended up in Japan, but not a whole lot. So, yeah, I, I thought. I thought, as I said to John, if he were any more laid back, he'd need a double jointed spine <laughs> because he's just like, so yeah. And the mounds. Yeah, I'm good. And I thought perfect, you know, perfect. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and the, I thought his analysis of the haunching tigers was really good. They put the ball in play and our pitchers are really good. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no no fault with that i have very accurate none yes no very accurate and, and they walk they also, a lot <laughs> and they also have yeah yusuke Uyama who draws walks like like he owns them like he owns mm-hmm. a got a patent on them mm-hmm. and more power to him so uh the one thing i wanted to mention because it goes with a, our uh, the recent interview, which was a question I was hoping you had you would ask, you would have asked Carter Stewart, was about the first hero interview mm. and how they don't practice for it. And obviously, the teams don't tell the new the new imports. Although with a new import, none of them are in a position like Carter Stewart is because they've all. Carter Stewart is is one of just a handful of amateurs who turned pro in Japan. Mm-hmm. I can think of just uh, two or three. And he's the first pitcher to win his first professional game in Japan, in his first major league game in, in Japan. And actually that's not true, but uh, for his first professional, his first win in, how can I say this? Because, you know, Tony Barnett, of course, played in the minors. And he won games in the minors, so they treat him differently. But when he came to Japan, he he won his first major league game. And then when Carter Stewart, he had never won a, a game in the U.S. minors, so he won a game, and nobody told him. Nobody told him about the the stupid ball trick that they ask pitchers winning their first game in NPB. So they. The, they before the when the pitchers winning their first game will always be in the hero interview. So we had a game recently where the winning pitcher was a, a guy in a Sayonara win on the road. Mm-hmm. But he was his he was the winning pitcher in relief and it was his first pro win. Mm-hmm. So typically, if it's a sayonara, they don't let two people do the hero interviews even on the at road, home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even at home, they don't. Oh, usually, okay. it's mm-hmm. usually just that's the only guy they want to talk to. And you know, it's like a, a you know throwing a, a complete game shutout or something. And uh, so the the hero interview went not to the guy who had the RBI single to win the game, 
but the guy who retired two batters in the ninth inning right <laughs> of a tie game and he got so so he came out to do with a hero interview and they what i mean by the stupid ball trick i should call it the hidden ball trick because they all put the baseball the winning ball the mm-hmm. final the ball from the final out uh of the game in his in his pocket mm-hmm. in this the winning pitcher in the pocket. back pocket right and so they go out and they ask they always ask them do you have the ball and they they produce the baseball and they say what are you going to do with it and uh, you know, I, I never really listened to this until my one of my coworkers at the office uh, said they always say the same thing, and I said, "Really? I don't ever listen." He <laughs> said, "No, they always say I'm going to give it to my parents, or mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to my dad, or I'm going to give it to my mom if mm-hmm. you know if they were raised by single parents." Um, always, hundred percent, except one time the guy like forgot to say he forgot the script. And he had to think about it, and the fans were laughing in the stands. But Carter Stewart, nobody told Carter Stewart. Okay. So so nobody told Carter Stewart. He says, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. <laughs> he didn't get the script either. No. So I forgot got, that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. was watching that, but I, I forgot that aspect. Um, oh, so it's a classic. So anyway, so that's what I was thinking. And I just really enjoyed the interview. It was a lot of fun. And. Uh, it was nice to get to to meet uh, Drew Anderson. Yeah, for me, it was the discrepancy in the bullpen mounds. Mm. And and actually, I guess between the actual mounds and bullpen mounds at the same stadium, that they're different, that that concept to me, especially when you got visitor, I've never thought about because we actually had access in the past. Right. You and I, when we got there before games, we could walk out to the to the at Jingu Stadium. We could walk out to the visitors' bullpen, and we could turn around and walk down the first base line and visit the. Sure, you could come in. I used to come in through the the gate uh, in the right field corner mm-hmm. that led to the swallows. You could come in. I used to come in the yeah. stadium that way through the gate the and then just just yeah. keep an eye out for batted balls. Right. So, uh, but I never would have thought to look at the mounds and see if they're actually the same in the bullpens because they might be different on the visitor side than they are on the home side because they want the home side to be able to. But I've never thought about comparing them. And so when when Drew said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's an advantage. That is a home field advantage and a half because you can make them different in the bullpens. Uh, so you can have three different, very uh, actually subtly, varying yeah. sizes of mounds one for the visitors one for your guys and one for the actual mound so that's something i want to start asking the pitchers about because that was very enlightening and i just i you know i think that that can really impact a performance right because you get hot in one environment and then you have five warm-up pitches on the actual mound and then it's go time and that would seem to me be a reason why sometimes the the first batter um, and the reliever faces either gets a four pitch walk sometimes in some situations, right? The really easy four pitch walk, and the pitcher has this perplexed look on his face. It's like, how come I can't get my pitches to go where I want? And sometimes I've seen that, and it it just all clicked. All the gears started to turn in my head and think, oh, okay, now I see what I'm seeing. Now I understand better what I'm looking at because these pitchers are struggling. It's not that they're struggling; it's like they're, they're trying to make the adjustments. So they've had to warm up one place 
they're used to something else. And and it, it was unbelievable. Drew has pitched, you know, this is his second year, and he said he hadn't pitched at the on the Jingu Mound yet. And I'm like, what? You know, this is crazy. But as a reliever, I guess, you know, he wouldn't. But anyway, I I often feel like the the Koshien Mound is hard to see. So when he said you know, that's like a, a like a speed bump or something that's just it's flat. It is hardly there. And I'm like, you know, you're right, because I look on TV and I'm like, I can hardly see an impression of a mound. I know the guys are walking up because I can see them in the, in the way they're taking the step. They're walking up onto a mound. But you're right. It's kind of flat. And it, the whole thing reminded me of Ryan Vogelsong, because remember, before they went to the uniform ball, Ryan Vogelson was one of the first to just really lament the fact that, hey, man, why are all the balls different? I go to this park and it's different and I go to this park and it's different and I go to another That was park. when, obviously, when he was with the Tigers because by the when he... By no, the he time, was with the Buffaloes. Yeah, but when by the time he got to the Buffaloes, the Pacific League was all using Mizuno ball. Okay, yeah. But, um, but, yeah. The, but the Tigers were one of the teams that used, um, were one of the three NPB teams that didn't use uh, Mizuno balls at that oh, time. Well, I think he was with the Buffaloes at the time, but it was interleague when I talked to him about it. Okay. He... Oh, well, that was crazy stuff. Yeah. Because it was at, it was at uh, Tokyo Dome. So yeah, that was crazy stuff. So it home, it all brought up so many memories. And so, yeah. and, and just, that's what I took away. You know, I, I, I remember how angry Vogelsong was about the fact that the, all the balls were different in the ballparks. And so now this started to make this made me stop and start to think about all the ways that we don't know that teams can make it hard or difficult on visiting teams and so wow. that's what i took away from this so yeah I thanks for bringing, Drew. Yeah. bringing up ryan vogel song because guy really loved and, and he was always very straight and always had the most interesting points and then of course he went back as you know he was kind of a no nobody fringe player in japan and then he went to america to be in the minors when uh yeah. in the minors and he became an all-star with the san francisco giants I, yeah. uh, which is like for for a san francisco giants fan it doesn't get any better than that that a guy you liked playing in japan is an all-star for your um uh, childhood team so uh, that was great and i i'll I know before I get before we get off the subject, one other thing that okay, as far as the balls go, you know, they used to give because teams would use some teams used more than one baseball. Some teams teams were allowed to use up to three baseballs if they split them evenly between their home games. Mm -hmm. And but some teams would use two baseballs in the same season. And like the SoftBank, uh, the Dye Hawks, before they switched completely to Mizuno, would use a Mizuno ball against certain teams and another ball against other teams. Basically, not it wasn't a hundred percent, but mm -hmm. it was. And the Lotte Marines would use they Asics was one of their suppliers, and I think they used Asics and Mizuno or Asics but as some Asics. people might say. Oh, is that how you pronounce it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, well, you don't um, want to get too much ass in your six, yeah, but yeah, no, I'm <laughs> no, that's me. I'm a dumb Asics guy. Hashtag high heat. So the the Marines would switch it by the month. So in May mm -hmm. they'd use one, and then the next, so they'd use them in uh, one year. They'd use the uh, Asics ball in even months, and the next year they'd use it in odd months, which allowed me to 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 see how much the 
different balls flew, which was really fun. But uh, so the pitchers, the starting pitchers would get balls to work with the week before. Oh, that's they, right. I think yeah, I remember you talking about that. Right. They'd get, the past, they, yeah. if they were going on the road, the starting pitchers, the pitchers they expected to use would get to throw their bullpens with the ball in the upcoming series. That would have so, been useful. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. understand that. And, and some of it, was it Tony, it was Tony Barnett had that great line about his nightmare is that he, He'd been practicing with the wrong ball. Oh. And he went into the game and he got, they handed him a different ball. No. You you go that Bullocks. was one of our interviews. Yeah, indeed. That was one of our um that was one of our, our interviews. He said that. He said it was in the I take that back. That might have been on that might have been on the Japan ball. Yeah, I don't um, remember that. Okay, yeah. but I, he might have said that on the Japan on a Japan ball webcast. Anyway, so yeah, all those things happened in the last one last finally last was another thing that they don't do anymore speaking of home field advantages they used to show the all the foul balls that the they used to show all the pitches that the home team batters made contact on on the big screen mm -hmm. so the batter could see where the catchers were setting up against them Mm-hmm. And the visitors never, never got to not, see that. You didn't see that because they didn't want to show the fans the visiting hitters. But they wanted to show all the hits and all the you know all the good swings. But they were also showing the this you'd see the hitters staring at the screen, going, Oh, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember they you stopped they about stopped that. doing that about I think about 2006 or 2007. Anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Let, let's make a four seam transition and get to the pinstripe pleasure. So the Central League race officially ended on Thursday. The Tigers uh, and obviously Drew said it well. They locked up title number six because they are very steady and um, they don't have any standout players, but they I mean, I shouldn't say that they don't have any mvb caliber players and that's a that's certainty i don't i don't see any on this squad and yeah uh, but they do they do have a stack of guys who are pretty good you know, yes they you know they they're not quite the hiroshima carp which is like the whole team loaded with guy well they do have a couple of guys who are really good but they're not really producing like it this year but mm -hmm. uh they've got a a couple of guys who are just three or four all-star caliber players, but not superstar caliber players. Right, right, right. So they beat the Giants four to three on Thursday at home. And I guess they go from what? Lovable losers to wonderful winners. Because I I at the beginning of the season said I looked, I think this team has enough talent to win. It just doesn't get the job done. And this has to be really sweet for Tigers fans because they got it done at home. The, even uh, Okada came on uh, for his hero or championship interview, a managerial interview after the game and said, hey, look, we knew we were going to play in Hiroshima the next night, but we wanted to get it done at home in front of our fans at hallowed Koshien Stadium. And it just really had to be a sweet feeling for long-suffering fans. And I don't recall this at all, but any team steamrolling across the finish line with an 11 game winning streak like this to close out yeah that was remarkable that was remarkable i don't and... remember i've been so you and i we we met in 1999 and i had been covering japanese baseball since 1995 and i i just don't recall this happening 
uh, an well, 11 game, a 10, uh, even a double digit winning streak. Well, they to, clinched, to the Tigers clinched on September 14th. And I remember them making a big deal about it was the earliest date on which the team had ever clinched a pennant. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole uh, Walmart's uh, section full of pennants they've got. The, uh, <laughs> but it only by one day because September 2003, when the Tigers also broke an 18 year, mm-hmm. the last time the Tigers had not won a pennant for 18 years and won, they lost, I think, four. They went, they went to Jingu with a magic number of one about six days before that. And they couldn't win. And I think the Chuniji Dragons couldn't lose. Mm. I don't remember if it was the Chuniji Dragons. It might have been the... Might have been somebody else. I don't remember might, either. But yeah, what, what year are you talking about again? 2003. 2003. The year, one of the two years so I, I wasn't followed, here in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the 18-year thing was a big deal. And, you know, the Tigers are a big deal. And they were a big draw. So I followed them. I followed them from Jingu from Tokyo Dome to Jingu to Nagoya Dome to Koshien. Oh, what where, fun! <laughs> oh, it was it was hilarious. That's actually the first time when I I actually first got to know Senichi Hoshino when he was the Tigers manager. And September fifteenth, respect for the elderly day, <laughs> Koshien Stadium was a two, I think it was a 3 p.m. start. It was an afternoon start on a fall day, my first ever game at Koshien. It was absolutely magical. The Tigers won. They didn't actually clinch uh, because they needed the, it wasn't, it was not the, um, it was not the. You're talking dragon. 2003? It was 2003. It was the Yakult Swallows. Oh, okay. Who had to had to lose in it was either the Yakult Swallows or the DNA the Yokohama Taiyo Way or the Yokohama Bay Stars had to lose. They played a night game. And so the Tigers got their magic one. They were magic two. They got to magic one by beating the carp. And uh and then they had to wait for the pennant that evening. But that okay. was that was that. So yeah. So yeah. it brought bad memories with the time of year and whatnot. So gotcha. So yeah, like I said, it was the sixth time that the Tigers have won the Central League title. And I went back and looked them up what the years were since 1950. So it's 1962 mm-hmm. and then two years later in 1964. Mm-hmm. Then the Randy Bass year, 1985. And then we had the 2003 season. And then when I came back to Japan, 2005, and that's when I took this job. And then this year. So they've got this seemingly little pattern in there. They'll win uh, a couple, two out of three years. And then they don't win for a long time. <laughs> and then, yeah. 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 But, but, but as far as being a losing team, they were, they've been a pretty good team. Uh, they would, they've been a, 2003 was a break because they had, although they finished second the year before, they had been through some dark years for about seven or eight years. Yeah, Whereas... it seems like longer, and it seems like in recent decades, too, that the team has been good, but not winning, you know, yeah, not well, a winning club. Now, well, Okada finished fourth his first year taking over after uh, Hoshino left for health reasons, 
And then he never finished worse than third. Yeah, but I mean, then they probably had a winning record, if not right around 500 in a third place finish situation. But still, uh, I just call them lovable losers because they find ways not to get championships, you know, not to win at all. Well, they were they were they've been really bad in the postseason. <laughs> yeah, yes, they have been. <laughs> but we'll so get to com- the postseason in 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 time because we we do want to congratulate this team and talk about right now. But we will. That's one of the things we will do in the future here, as we approach the playoffs. But, um, you know, they 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 this team has been as as Drew said, Drew Anderson said in the interview, just really balanced and. Uh, you look at the walks and you look at Okada and what he has done. And uh, we had a story in our paper about him taking a step back and not being so direct with the players and just kind of overseeing things and um, not getting into the weeds in terms of uh, being out there every day and talking to the players, but just, you know, running things on the bench. And he, the one thing about Okada, I, I just really felt like he was really sharp at the little nuances of managing and when to hit and run, when to call off a hit and run, when to play deep in the outfield or guard the lines and where to put players. And um, no one is perfect, but I just think he just really hit those mechanics, those in-game mechanics and what he does, how he gets it done in that respect. He has been really good this season. And obviously Drew also mentioned Suguru Iwazaki, who has been like the Kazuto Taguchi of the Kansai region. Uh, he has been out there. He doesn't throw that hard, uh, but he's left-handed, and he was a guy who was a former starter who has been converted to a closer, and he is is very good at finishing out games. And, uh, you know, we had Robert Suarez out there throwing BBs and firing balls at almost 100 miles an hour, but he walked a lot of guys and got into a lot more trouble than Iwazaki seems to get into. So um, that, that settling that, that area down, I think, has been really good for the Tigers. Uh, one of my favorite players, Koji Chikamoto, has just been great. He has been fantastic. Uh, he was my pick for the Rookie of the Year when he was a rookie, but uh, he didn't get that. And he, he'll never get the, because he was in the same um, group as Munetaka Murakami of the Swallows, he's just never going to get that kind of attention. He doesn't hit home runs, but I think he's been a really good player, and he has shown it. He's played, he's played really good defense. Uh, he has been a catalyst for the offense, and he has been very consistent. You know, no depths of despair in terms of uh, his batting, and uh, you know, no no extreme peaks either. But slow and steady wins the race, and they they did they have done that. So, what did you see in the Tigers this season? Besides this, well, I, this last this spurt to the finish line to, to close it out too. <laughs> oh well, of course. I as I said before, and I, I think it's remarkable too that they one of my favorite Tigers players is Yutaro Umeno, who mm-hmm. really didn't have hasn't been you know he hasn't been as healthy as he's needed to be the last few years, but he's he is the he's the really the ideal hunching tiger because. These guys, at least the guys who can run, they they not only can run, but they know how to run. I mean, they know they are really alert on the bases. Is one has been a hallmark of the Tigers uh, since before Okada took it over uh, with uh, Akihiro Yano, his predecessor. Uh, remember the play, the fame, the play that I cannot forget of Koji uh, Chikamoto wa- getting a walk and ending up on third base before another pitch was thrown. <laughs> I take that back. It was an infield single. 
and he was on third base before another pitch was thrown. Right. Um, just that kind of daring, and Umeno is a tremendous base runner, so they lost him, so it, that was tough. But what I saw was basically having a plan. You know, it's one of those things when plans work, it's really great. And with the Tigers, the one of the few things that didn't really work was have was expecting um Otsuki Yuasa to be the to be the closer because he wasn't quite fresh after the WBC and then didn't quite work out. And so Iwasaki went back to that later inning, but they were also had uh, Kyle Keller pitched in. Anyway, so they with the bullpen it's been a, a bit of mixing and matching and but you know it's what I the the feeling I get with the Tigers is He's got, he had a, uh, Okada had a really good plan. He and his coaching staff had a really good plan. And I, and I don't know how much of it had to do with trade starting in the winter and trading away players whose defense they didn't like. <laughs> but you know what? They're still not great defensively. They, they make a not- lot of error, errors, but they just now they pitch through them and they play through them and they hit through them. Yeah. And uh, and what one of the things I think with Okada is he's not there. Well, of course, Akihiro Yano wasn't either. But one of the things with Okada is, as I've I've said repeatedly, is that he's really good at handling the media, which is an absolute essential for the Hanshin Tigers. Mm. Yano was good at more or less ignoring them. Switch but, off, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was doing that, but he wasn't able to... I think Okada had a way of dealing with the media that he was able to uh, set the narrative in a way. He's mm-hmm. so good with reporters. He's so funny. He's so likable. Really? Uh, yes, yes, very much so. He's very down-to-earth. Um he's got the reporters you know he's 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 funny he's you know he's he's a very he's very good with the media uh and i think that works out a way that you know they make the errors but nobody's going to be talking about it <laughs> nobody's yeah, well, going with yano they i think the media sometimes as they do with all managers they look for ways to embarrass them <laughs> Or just chide them, yes. Yeah, yeah to yeah. make a big deal out of small things is sort of the um, the haunching media are the journalistic gods of little things. Yeah, the we know better than you gang. Yeah, and <laughs> and this is why you're the you know the teams ruining the this pennant race like we expected them to. With Okada, you don't get that sort of despair. You got it a little bit with. A, but that's a standard thing. And I think Okada changes that, which yeah. is a huge thing, takes the pressure off. He is he excels at taking the pressure off the players. And if you're a Hanshin Tigers player and you're in a less stressed environment, it's like hallelujah. Yeah, and that's that's a plus. I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I think um Shota Morishita the rookie he, he actually grabbed my pick as the top CL rookie I, I just he just has been so steady and so impressive as a rookie and then 
Well, I think he's, I, I'm with you. I think he's the, you know, his overall numbers won't be good because, right. he, because of the time it took him to get, get into the swing of things. But as far as who's the best rookie, yeah, Strong who's the best half, rookie yeah. player. Yeah. Strong he's, second half as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think and the arms, the they, they pitch so well, they pitch well from top to bottom, from the starters to the uh, bullpen. And they, they, cut well, down on walks and, and it, they just had a really outstanding run here to the central league title and they beat up on the teams they needed to. And they did it at the most important part and even uh, the most important part of the season. And even Okada talked about that in his uh, interview on, on the field after the game. And he said, look, I, I expected the team to be strong, but they, they far exceeded what I expected. I, you know, winning all these games in August and September has just been, you know, a lot more than I expected what he said. And, they, they beat the teams they needed to beat head to head. They didn't just beat them. They beat them up. And so it's it just been a ridiculous kind of uh, run for them. But the, all the other thing that's ridiculous is I saw Pro Yaki News that night and already the crazy talk has started about what player on the Tigers they're going to make the MVP. And I said, there is no player on the Tigers who is the MVP of the Central League. It's either Kazuma Okamoto of of the Giants or my pick Shugomaki of the DNA Bay Stars. It's just there's no Tiger who deserves that their name on the award this year, but someone's gonna get it because they just they do that. And the and the names yeah. they threw out were utterly ridiculous. Uh except for maybe Kotaro Otake. Okay. Yeah, the pitcher. But even that's a stretch because it's not like he's leading the league in wins or anything or pitched a bunch of complete games or you know, was an out, has an outstanding ERA or anything. He just won more than ten games for them, and they looking around and trying to sniff out who would be the MVP candidate. And they even brought up the name Seiya Kinami, and I'm like, what? <laughs> this guy didn't even hit 250. I don't think. What are you talking about? So, yeah, the craziness has started. But anyway, your take on that that aspect? Well. You kind of want to hope that Kazumo Komodo hits 50 home runs because then they'll say, oh, well, he had 50 home runs, which is really amazing. So we don't have to give it to a Tiger. And he's a giant. So we'll just give it to him. Yes. Well, yeah, well he won't think... hit 50, though, I don't think. No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, but that's that's really the only chance that somebody has this amazing um, these amazing numbers, but it just they... isn't there. They could give it to Murakami again. I think he's hitting over 255 and he got to the 30 home run mark and he has 80 RBI. So they can give it to him. <laughs> no. No, they won't. Yeah. They they brought up, you know, Sato, Teruaki Sato. They, they say a Kinami was almost made me spit up my breakfast. <laughs> no, it's and I a, like it's the guy. A, it is a team, it has been a team effort. And you know, they all they all played their part. Well, Kinami was important, but he's important not because of what he did as much as he was just part of that plan. You know, he was, I don't know that he was part of a plan. Because no, I I don't, I, I'm really not sure think. that it was. The plan. I, I think. Yeah, I would. I if I had to pick a if you who's who's the MVP of the team? Let's start there. I would I would say more than anybody, it's it's uh, Takumu Nakano because of his defense, his his moving over to second base and his steady production but yeah chikamoto was was hurt a little bit too much well he was no, hurt not too much yeah he, he, he missed he missed he missed about three weeks over the over the course of the season or two weeks um yusuke oyama was terrific but again it's it's a lot of guys who are really good there's just no yes. one guy who's so outstanding 
true. Uh, so it's it's hard to pick. A lot of good guys. These are the the Hanshin Tigers are really the two thousand four. Uh, well, the, the two thousand four Chinichi Dragons with power. Okay. <laughs> in that they they've got a bunch of guys who are who are really good. But nobody's nobody takes your breath away as an MVP. So they, you know, end up giving it to the pitcher who won the most games. Right. Gotcha. All right. Let's move on to the Pacific League. Uh, congratulations again to the Tigers and their fans. Now, Oryx is up next in this Kansai double championship run. And I expect to be discussing that team at length at the end of the week because their magic number is less than 10. In the meantime, um, I have to bring up this song that I used to sing around the office about, I don't know. You have to. Gosh, it's going to come up. It's more than 15 years ago. I have to. You ready? You don't remember it. I'm sure you don't know what I'm going to hit you with right now. I'm going to put put you on mute. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) All right, you ready? They're little. They're gutty. They're the gutty little eagles. And I used to sing that song all around the office their second year because uh, they, they lost too many games that first year to be relevant in any conversation but they started to to win more games that second season and i kept calling them the gutty little eagles and here they are again they're still in this thing you know they win again tonight and the hawks can't just get any stable traction and this thing is close man i i I don't believe the eagles can come back and and push the hawks out of that last playoff spot in third place but their their heads are above water they're right there and they're gutting this thing out to the very end, even though they can't fly straight. <laughs> um, yeah, they're uh, one in the, as we sit here on Saturday night, they're one and a half games behind the Hawks in the standings. But to me, they're just they've been playing better. Uh and they've been fine, they've been that team that finds a way to win. Okay. Well, hopefully. We'll, you'll be the guy who finds a way not to sing that song again. <laughs> I won't. I know how much you love it. Look, the Hawks, you know, uh, Carter Stewart talked about it when he was on it as our guest last week, and he said they have the last place fighters this weekend into Monday, and the Eagles have the front-running Buffaloes, and you would think that they would take advantage of that. And and tonight it was the fighters, uh, Chusei Manami, who goes – with a leadoff home run and then a walk-off home run in the ninth. And he is only the second MPB player to finish or to have a game like that where he hits a leadoff home run and a walk-off home run. And glad, they lose. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you, you put it that way because a couple of people on Twitter said he started the game with a home run and he finished the game with a home run, which is, well, he did, but he didn't start the game. You know, no, yeah. my friend Joe said, how many people open a game with a home run and close it with a sayonara home run? The answer is no one. nobody. Exactly. <laughs> nobody. So yeah, exactly. But he did, he did start his team's, uh, he did start his team's offense and finish it. So yeah. So still, and that was still a while. And still there a while. The, yes. Yeah. All, all, unbelievable. And then there is the, we've got the Hawks not being able to win a game with their closer on the mound. So, this this is gonna go to the end. I, I'm excited, and uh, hopefully we can talk to 
someone else from the Hawks and someone from Rockton as we go down the stretch here. So we'll keep an eye on the schedule and try to get out that way. Um, no rocking with Rogi segment this week uh, because he only threw three innings, and I don't think uh, that's a bullpen. That's not a start. That was uh, a that was a that was, that was a, a rehab, tease. That was a rehab start, basically. He was yeah. he, had, he had a fifty pitch uh, limit. Yeah, well, kind of don't do that to us. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that to John. You don't can do, do it, it to me. I'm I'm okay with it, but don't do it to John. He's sensitive. <laughs> yeah, and he ends up losing the game because he gave up a first inning run. So I'm I'm not even counting that. I'm I just scratch that from the records. <laughs> yeah, you what, said. What, what is this hip hop? Scratch. No, I don't know. I don't listen to hip hop, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) But did you get to see any of it or did you just hear about the highlights? Uh, Actually, I watched it. I watched uh, because it was Roki Sasaki. I did watch his uh, his pitching on a speeded up. uh, I just looked at each each at bat in PLTV. Yeah. Okay, so you were you were there in spirit. Yeah, I thought it was fine. (laughs) Yeah, it looked good. Yeah, he looked good. I just thought, again, he gets into situations in which he throws too many strikes or you know, finds the plate, finds the, uh, the heart of the plate a little bit too much with uh, his fastball. But other than that, yeah, I thought he looked good for this this rehab tease thing that they threw out there. Three innings. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> Apparently, I didn't read that it was going to be a rehab start <laughs> before the game. So I was not happy. But anyway. Um, he got out there, he got to pitch, so hopefully he pitches a little, little bit longer and we get to talk about him more next mm. week. And we do have one note, uh, the Chunichi Dragons announced for some reason, uh, basically on Friday, late Friday night after the game, after yet another loss, uh, that the Dragons said they would be bringing back uh, Kazuyoshi Tatsunami as manager for a third season. And I thought, okay, so they only won 66 games in his first year in 2022. And they topped that by not getting to the 50 win mark yet here in season two with about, I guess, 10 plus games to go. And the dragon said, Ooh, Ooh, we love what you did. We want more of that. So they they said, no, we want you to come back next season. Yeah. We paid for, for, we paid for mediocrity. We paid for three years of mediocrity and by golly, we're going to get it. Yeah. So no uh, way we're let we're no way we're going to pay another manager to be bad. We've yeah. already got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I always say this, okay, if you're going to fire your current person in charge, who is it who's better you can bring in? And at this point, I would raise my hand. Hashtag high heat. <laughs> but <laughs> Jim's closing his eyes. I would only do that because I That's couldn't do much right. worse. I couldn't do much worse if I tried. You know, if I just went out there every day and let the players run the show, I think I would have more wins. I really do. But uh, I can't say that Tatsunami doesn't know baseball and that he doesn't understand it. No. I just don't see him, the Okada-type strategic uh, strategic moves. I don't see the savvy. I don't see player management, player usage, player understanding being conveyed I, in the win-loss column that yeah. he might be doing it it's not showing up in the games yeah my my thinking about well i haven't really changed too much so i think he seriously lacks empathy mm-hmm. um which i'm which puts him i think in the category with siyoshi shinjo 
Yeah. And although I do know that Tatsunami actually does like people. <laughs> You've heard of it. <laughs> well, no, I mean I've I've talked to him and I, you know, and I've I've heard him communicate. I mean, he's a really good communicator. Uh when it comes to hitting, he's really good at working with hitters. He, I, I think he'd be a terrific batting coach, but as a manager running the show, he seems to, I, I really can't understand his man. I, I need to really talk to the coaches, his coaches who I do know. And uh, not like they're actually going to tell me anything of, you know, not going to be critical of their manager for fear it could get out. <laughs> and people, people might learn that not only do the fans and players not like him, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I think he, yeah, he lacks empathy. I, I think that uh, he just can't seem to have a have a plan for this team because of that. He doesn't. Uh, he knows baseball for sure, but you know he's not. The, I mean, he he would be better off if he let the coaches run it. Basically, I I think he should take a more Okada like approach and step back. Yeah, I I think that would serve him better. Well, that works. I mean, the 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 actual manager, you know, actually, I think what he lacks, what he has, is the Sasoka thing, which is he is not a manager. Yeah. Um. You well, know, he is not good he at is, getting people in the paycheck land. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's not. He's he he's not good at being the guy in charge. I think that's probably his biggest failing, which yeah. is not really hard. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy in charge, but I think he's not good at it. All right, all right, and with that great news, let's go to fielding questions. Great news for five CL teams that are all <laughs> giving each other high fives. Hey, we're playing in a five-team league next year, too. All right. Uh, let's see. This this question, we're going to do this one first, and if we have time to get back to Michael and Scranton, we will do that. But this comes from Drew, and I'm assuming he's in the USA, and he sent this via email. And he said, Dear Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast Dudes, I'm going to say he's from California. Um, long-time yeah. listener, first-time questioner here. With Seiya Suzuki and Matataka Yoshida now in MLB, plus Yuki Yanagita and Yoshihiro Maru getting older, who are some young candidates for best future outfielders in MPB? I want guys who can slash close to the gold standard of 300 average, 400 on base, 500 slugging, and play reasonable defense. Love the pod. Keep it up. So, um, I'd say you want guys who can slash the gold standard. Let some... L, I don't know. I obviously all the MLB teams who want players from M NPB or are looking at these players and trying to figure out what they're going to be uh, want the same thing, and they want a game changer. And I just I I think there's slim pickings in MPB at the moment. And of course, we're talking about young, so I'm thinking 25 ish, uh, younger, somewhere around there. And guys who I, I obviously have some experience, but they, none of the guys that who are in MPB, especially outfielders, I don't think they've slashed that here in MPB. So we're talking about guys who are in the developmental yeah. stage. Well, yeah. Right? Well, my I guess my answer would well, one answer would be well, you could put Munetaka Murakami in a corner outfield, and he'd do it. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, I, he would definitely do it. And but the, would, would you want to put no. him in a corner outfield? And no. the answer to that is probably not. So yeah, he's on my list. On the I have a list of five guys, but two of them are com- converted guys. Um, Murakami is the first one. He'd have to be you stick him in left field. That's the only place you could hide him. The other guy is Kazuma Okamoto of the Giants because. He's really he would be a terrible defender as an outfielder, but some MLB. People Although call, he actually does play, he does not, play left. Yeah, he's, he's not, got. Some he's not terrible. He's not he's, terrible, but he's not. I don't think he would plus. be good. He, in he, no, he'd be a he's a minus. But you know, there's he's he's well below average. But as I said before, well below average is lots of. If you've got a team and you have a regular, basically no championship team doesn't have a a, a regular player who is well below average. Gotcha. I, I I say terrible because I don't think he could catch a lot of difficult balls and I don't think he could throw very well. And that's why I said terrible. And I count the throwing as an important part, especially oh, I in think left it's field. Very, I, well, in left field. I, Meaning yeah. you, it's a, you it's have a shorter throw. But it's, it's a, a shorter throw, throw, but you're going to have a lot of people challenging you and a lot of opportunities. But but the problem, with, one of the other problems with Okamoto is he's 27. So yeah. he, he doesn't not, yeah. qualify no. as young. No, he's, yeah, he's in the area where you really don't expect him to be any better right and also the adjustment's going to be a, a killer yeah and uh the next guy on my list is another guy who would be converted and that's shugo maki who could play in left as well and i think the base stars used him as an outfielder early on trying to find a position for him and i think left field would suit him well and i think i don't think as a corner outfielder in terms of what mlb thinks and i'm using mlb as the standard because i'm assuming Drew wants guys who are going to eventually be picked up in the in the, in the major league. So that's why I'm talking about that. But he did say his question is about who are the guys who are going to have slashing these totals in NPV. So, but I, I would say Maki's an option because, like I said, he he has proven he can play the outfield. Probably not that well. I don't really know how well. I don't remember <laughs> because he has been at second base for so long. And he's 25, so he's right there mm. on the cusp. Um, Chikamoto was another guy I thought of, but he's already 28, so I took him out. He's mm. he, he's going to be too old, and he's he's never going to slug 500 unless it it's you know unless in, he changes in, teams in a video and, game or yeah, something. <laughs> changes teams, he had to go to play a Jingu. Yeah, so I don't see that happening. So uh, the number two guy, because I'm counting from so Okamoto was basically four, Maki three. My number two guy is Yuto Akihiro of the giants and i just thought because he has so much potential he's a big guy he's six six uh he needs a lot of work still but i could see him being a cody bellinger type because of that height and he's a left-handed batter and you might be able to get some home runs out of him um and i'm sure teams are seeing that kind of potential and i love the swing and i think he's on the path to success and he turns 21 on sunday so by the time you guys hear Mm. this he will have turned 21 uh, so he's at the perfect age, I think, if he starts to, let's say, next year, get to the 30 home run total and, and, and hit higher than 280 and drive in some runs for the Giants. I think he gets on the radar and he's up there. But again, uh, because he's 21, I think he has an opportunity, but he has to put in more service time and he might be someone potential. But the guy at the top of my list had the game of his life tonight. And that's the guy we of, of whom we just spoke, and that's Chusei Manami. And he's a strong all-around player with a strong arm. I think he has the potential to be a five-tool guy. He's 20... well, he has the tools. There's no yes. doubt he has the tools. Well, but 
I would I would claim that he can get into better shape physically. Yeah. No, yeah. certainly he can be bit he can be stronger. Stronger be... and in better condition physically. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's 23 already, so he's gonna have to turn it on. But I, I think he's at the top of the list. Uh he's what as we sit here tonight, I think he's two back in the home run chase or the chase for the home run crown in the Pacific League. He only has like 22 home runs. That's not a lot. So it's not like this year is a big uh, a big year for home runs, but he's up there with everybody else. So if anything's going on with the baseball or any of that, he's in the muck with it. But uh, of course, Okamoto's 40 seems to cancel that out. But and some other guys in the Central League have a few home runs. But anyway, that that's my list. I don't I don't see there just aren't that many guys. They're just not going to slash that. They're not going to the, the running guys don't hit for power as much and the power guys don't run as much. So you're not going to get a lot of on base percentage because they're just not going to reach on walks. And, you know, if you skate, Oh yeah, of the tigers were better, more consistent, uh, put the ball in play hitter. I would put him up there because he gets, he really has upped his wall. I think he's leading NPB in walks. Yes. And so he, that part of his game. That's is good hard for... when you play in the, when you play in the same league with Murakami, that's not easy. Yeah, yeah, true. So, so that's the list, Drew. I, I, you know, like I said, we can go through the song and dance. I, I don't think any of those guys really on the list to, to, to go over to the states anytime yeah. soon, except for Murakami, and we know he's going to go at some point. And I don't know that he's going to be an outfielder, but I don't, I don't know he's going to be an infielder either. I'm not sure about that defense. <laughs> no, we don't want to hear the song or the dance uh, or see the dance. So, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So, and to finish up, uh, Mike from Scranton, uh, he sent an email and we've been shooting down uh, one by one the questions. And the last question he had really didn't pertain to baseball per se. Um, and he asked a lot of questions and we've been answering them uh, for the past three weeks, you would say, for the past three weeks. So uh, Michael said, lastly and less likely, does the writing system in Japan or education system have the same problem in the U.S.? in which a mostly completely digital society has made learning writing seemingly unnecessary. Here, cursive writing has been phased out almost entirely with the focus on standardized testing preparation. Wow. So that means, let's say, let's look, let's peer five, ten years into the future, these kids who are growing up and not learning how to write cursive writing will pick up a letter from someone that's you know who wrote a letter 30 years ago and they won't be able to read it even though it's mm. written in english that seems weird to me in the states and uh i guess this whole standard standardized testing phase or thing that that the states are going through and the the problem is there's so much there's so many issues with the education system and so much imbalance anyway that I I just I can't even attack this on that side. But what I can say about Japan is, yes, the electronic or the digital society has changed a lot here because, as Jim probably knows, I can read a lot of Japanese. I don't write that much. And so I've never been the person who could grab a piece of paper and write my thoughts out in kanji all the time, whereas Jim can write kanji you know, fairly well, though I think you still have to look at some of them to, to write them, right? Because sometimes you forget. Do Well, I'll tell you. Um... Yeah, the question is really good because with the advent of digital writing, which was not a thing, I mean, I was strictly analog. Mm -hmm. You know, even in college, yeah. I was typing stuff. Yes. Uh, 
uh, I was a strictly on a analog, typewriter. You should say on a type. Of course, yeah, you need to finish that a, statement. Yes, well, <laughs> for our young as listeners, <laughs> as opposed to word processing stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, and writing uh, kanji. I my vocabulary now, especially I, I restarted studying Japanese two years ago, a year and a half ago. Um, my vocabulary is probably three or four times as big as it was when I came to Japan. Uh, 39 years ago yesterday. Um, but I can probably write fewer, I can probably write about half as many kanji by memory as I could when I was coming out of college. Sure. Because I had to write kanji every single day in college. And now I write, I write only words that I want to remember the, 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 the characters. And even, you know, like, stuff like job to you know your job title i'm thinking i have to really think about it to write it you know other than my address <laughs> i'm a wizard my address and people go wow yeah so I, I used to i used to do that yeah for me um so i really never practiced writing that much and i would say the digital society really helped me because sometimes i would i would go to places now and they hand you a tablet to fill out the forms so that you can put everything directly into their uh, electronic system. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome, because I can do this. You know, I can do all the kanji, I can do my address and everything. But if you ask me to write it, it would take me 15 minutes, you know, so this is cool. So that that helps. And I understand that. So I can tell you, you know, you've got the three um, character styles or three kinds of writing in Japanese. It includes katakana, for foreign words, hiragana for pronunciation, basically, and other Japanese words, and then uh, verb conjugation and other stuff like that, and prepositions. And then you've got kanji. And to read a sentence, you might need to be competent in all three of those, depending on what's yep. you know what the subject matter is in the sentence. So schools could, I don't think they could eliminate any of them and have people function in society here in Japan. So we don't have to fear that, I don't think, here. But like I said at the beginning, to have the notion of kids uh, picking up, you know, kids who are young now, like mine, who are six. And if they went over to, if we ever went over to the States and they never learned how to read cursive writing and they pick up a letter that they wouldn't be able to read it if it were an old letter or something like that, that I can't fathom. And so that's scary. And I, I think, you know, I, I used to always complain about kanji uh, for names. And I think I told you this story, Jim, a long time ago. I said, why do Japanese people write these kanji for names that you need the pronunciation above it to read the name? Isn't the point of the writing to convey the name of the person or with the name of something? And as I fought it, and as I struggled and uh, berated the Japanese society for using kanji so much for names, it hit me one day that it's part of the culture. It's part of the creativity of, of not just naming a child with the sound of a name, but also attaching some meaning behind the name. And so it, I, I understood it and I, I knew it was necessary. And I said, you know, there's, there's so many players named Kazuhiro, but they're all their kanji could be different. You know, you could get 10, you could line up 10 guys named Kazuhiro and the, the kanji could be different for all of them. And so I thought, okay, that's that's what part of it is. And it's it's part of that passing down of the names and passing down of the kanji and the family and keeping that part alive. And uh it, it just became more fascinating to me. And so I looked at I looked back at my younger self saying, you know, don't complain about other 
country's culture, you know, learn it or go home. So I learned it <laughs> and I try and I'm always fascinated by names and um, I appreciate that part of the, the Japanese culture. So anyway, that was a fantastic question. Did you have anything else to say about it, Jim? No, that was that was about it. Yeah. If you don't, you know, if you don't, uh, if you don't like the way other people do things, go to the United States. <laughs> then you can blame them for all your troubles. All right. Well, thank you, Michael from Scranton. I don't know if it's a Michael. I have Mike written here. I think you said Michael. So I'm going to go with Michael. But thank you so much uh, for the questions. And please send some more. And mm. Drew, appreciate what you've done first time Indeed. or long time first time. We appreciate that. Anyone else who has a question, hit us up on twitter.com <laughs> at jbw podcast with the hashtag high heat send us an email to y-a-k-y-u-j-o-h-n at gmail.com or go to the facebook page and leave us a comment there we'll probably be talking about the buffaloes next week i mean we know we lose some listeners in september because when your teams are out of it you get out of it but stay with us you'll enjoy the rest of the season and, i think you will yeah so please we'll talk to you next week enjoy your baseball See you at the ballpark. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBall Allen. Submit your questions with hashtag high heat and listen for an answer in an upcoming episode.